recruiting ish web three world-class podcast let's get it let's go the topics of discussion you cannot get from another opportunities in web three we got you covered meta intro been dope gotta thank you for the love and support that you're giving keep it coming we going up in jazz fees interviews with the crews making moves let's see it's a brand new world of nfts join in recruiting ish podcast yes please join in recruiting ish podcast yes please Meta Intro does not give financial advice. Information provided by Meta Intro is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only. Always do your own research on the companies that you apply to and the opportunities that you invest in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Recruiting Niche Podcast. Before we get into the episode, here's a word from our sponsors. Hey there, fellow podcast listeners. I'm Kevin Logan Jr., host of the Immutable Mindset Podcast. If you're fascinated by Web3, blockchain, and disruptive technology, then you won't want to miss a show. Join me and co-host Adam Posner as we introduce you to an incredible lineup of successful entrepreneurs, builders, and industry veterans who share their insider knowledge, unique perspectives, and personal stories that will leave you inspired and craving more. Like Mike Isogawa, the CEO of Webacy, who shares her journey from being a Cirque du Soleil performer to a cybersecurity pioneer. Or Dave Schwed, COO of Halborn, who discusses the future of digital asset security and how the future of assets will be tokenized. We also break down complex topics into digestible bits, perfect for both experts and newcomers to the world of Web3. So if you're ready to stay ahead of the curve, subscribe to the Immutable Mindset Podcast now, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Recruiting Niche Podcast. It's Tuesday. We're here with an episode where we're talking all things hiring and working in Web3. I'm Alex, your crypto recruiter. I'm here with Brad for the Meta Intro team. Say what's up, Brad. What's going on, everyone? And we've got a very special guest today, as you can see. Um, G is the founder and CEO of Orox, which is an innovative trading platform that launched in 2020. Um, we'll include details of Orox in the show notes so you can check them out and sign up for their platform. Um, but something to note, uh, they're integrated with over 50 exchanges. They've garnered a substantial user base and surpassed the 1 billion mark in trading volume. We've also got a token for their ecosystem that offers quite a lot of functionality. And G will be talking about the platform, his background, and about their team and plans for the future. G, welcome to the Recruiting Nest show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to get started. Absolutely. Well, I know I, I gave a, a quick intro on you and the platform, but... Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, I guess lead us up to this new project you're working on. Sure. Um, so my family actually immigrated into the United States when I was eight years old, um, originally born in Republic of Georgia. Um, and I ended up getting started um, trying to make money online through uh, online marketing, basically media buying, affiliate offers, et cetera. I was in high school. Um, I think I was 13 at the time. Um, and at that point, I started searching online. I didn't want to work a summer job in some, you know, fast food place or a warehouse or whatever it was, uh, earning pennies on the dollar. And um, I ended up going online, finding an online marketing forum, and that's where I actually discovered my business partners, uh, the same ones that are my partners here at Orox. And we started from affiliate marketing, lead gen, um, uh, e-commerce, software as a service companies, and start rolling in money from our previous endeavors and to grow the next business bigger and bigger. Um, and that's where Orox really came in. So in 2020, or actually it was, yeah, uh, 2016, um, my business partner was taking some of the money that we had made from e-commerce and investing into cryptocurrency. 
and he told me about it and I started putting some money in there and then we realized that there was like a lot of data fragmentation. There were so many exchanges, so many, like no one really knew what was going on back then. <laughs> um, so we wanted to create a platform that was easier for traders, like our, like what we were trying to do and encompass the entire cryptocurrency market and eliminated that uh, struggle uh, to trade and discover tokens. Um, and being entrepreneurs, we thought, you know, instead of investing in tokens, let's invest in ourselves. And we created the Warox Terminal over the next uh, few years. So we self-funded the entire project. Um, yeah, uh, our partner, my partners and I have been together for over a decade at this point on various different uh, projects. And we want Warox to be the final one and grow it to uh, a significant uh, user base. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Myself being, it sounds like you're obviously a serial entrepreneur yourself going from 13, you know, selling, you know, media spots. I can only imagine the experience and how exhilarating that must have been at, you know, 13 to, to, to do something like that. What was maybe the point that told you that this business was something different and that made you decide to kind of make the jump and say, let's go and, you know, formalize this as a, as a company? Was it early on or was there a, uh, you know, some point that made you make that decision? Yeah. So there was uh, two reasons. One, uh, when we did other types of online marketing, it was always us driving traffic uh, from Facebook, Google ads, whatever it was. Um, and if that traffic source died, the company basically started to die as well. Um, there was definitely recurring uh, customers and users, but Going from like, for example, on Facebook, we would spend, let's say $5,000 and make $30,000 in revenue in a single day. But then when that traffic source would die out or the ad didn't work or whatever it might've been, all of a sudden you're only generating a couple thousand dollars a day. And that huge drop ended up making it so it's not profitable anymore. So that entire experience of us previously to Orox was always you just have to be grinding on a daily basis. You stop and all of a sudden the business is dead. Um, and when crypto came around, we thought that, you know, let's just shift over to something where we can actually build a brand, something that I can look back at 10, 20, 30 years down the line, and I can have an actual steady, uh, job instead of waking up one day and having nothing. Um, and because cryptocurrency was early at that stage, it was an easy opportunity for us to get in early, use the funds, the savings and everything that we had create the product and establish a brand early on before everyone else uh, had similar ideas. That's super cool. And it's, it's interesting. The, like, I, I don't remember who said it. It was probably like Peter Thiel or, or one of the, the founders guys or VC guys, but they said, you know, you got to bet on the team, not always the product. So, you know, in, in the, the venture world and kind of the, the entrepreneur world, right? Like it doesn't always happen on the first try, but it sounds like you've got a good team. It sounds like you guys have, have kind of hit a stride with this. Um, you know, what, what is that like? How does that feel? You know, sometimes going from projects may not work out, you know, do you lose steam? Like how do you guys stay together and, and kind of build as you're moving to, you know, one project to another and now focusing on, on this as the long term? Yeah. Um, I mean, originally we were on and off, so we would work on projects together and then we would, you know, have our own project, uh, our own company and then come back together. So it wasn't always, uh, uh, something that all three of us were interested in at that specific time, um, or a specific company. Um, and that allowed us to work together in the positives while avoiding potential failures and because every 
company that I worked with them has always generated a significant amount of profits and, and revenue and growth. Um, eventually it does fizzle out and that's why we moved over to Orox, but it was always uh, successful, um, at least with them. And during the past 10 years, we kind of formed, I mean, they're essentially like my brothers in a way since I've known them for so long. And now I can be as transparent, like if I get mad at them, I can be, you know, I can say what's on my mind without being concerned about uh, what they're, how they're going to react and they feel the same way about me. Um, so we have a very open dialogue, which a lot of, you know, new founders might not have. Um, uh, for example, I mean, this is from a movie, but I'm pr it's kind of based on a real uh, story with the, the Facebook, um, the original um, uh, Zuckerberg's partner, he kind of got cut out and they weren't really that transparent to one another um, at that early stage. But with um, Gia and Tara's everything that I know, they know and vice versa. Yeah, that's great. Uh, do you utilize that practice? Yeah, you because know, you guys are so close, and I, I, you know, I, if you've been a part of a team like that, you know that it's special. You know, even though maybe you get mad at each other, but it's definitely clear to everybody where you stand. Do you hold new, you know, members to the team to that same, you know, bar and threshold that hey, you you got to fit in here? And obviously, it's hard to recreate years of camaraderie and working together. But you know, and maybe the broader question is, how do you integrate a new member, you know, into the team, what are some of the best practices you utilize to kind of make that work with a team that's so close together? Yeah. So, um, we were actually discussing, um, you know, scale, like for the past two, three years, we've scaled up the development side significantly, um, which meant there was a lot more load on us as founders because we're managing the entire upper management. So, uh, we were discussing about hiring, uh, starting to hire uh, upper management positions and in order to get them on the same page as us, incentivizing them aggressively with uh, equity in the company. Um, because if we're, for example, if we hired a CMO, um, their goal is going to be the same goal we have is growing the company as much as possible. And if we're not incentivizing them with some sort of skin in the game, some sort of uh, metric that they can hit um, to grow as part of the company, then they might just be cashing checks and they might not care as much. Um, so right now, being a small company, our goal is really hiring those upper management positions. That's going to be, it's going to feel part of the founders essentially. Gotcha. And for, I'm, I'm curious on like the equity side, and I guess like as you look at the company long term and, and kind of vision to some of the people joining the company, is it you know an exit that you're looking for? Maybe an acquisition? Maybe a merger? Going public? Like as as you guys thought of Orox as you know five ten years from now and the vision you tell you know candidates when they're joining, what ideally does that look like? Um, you know, out of those I guess couple options, or if there's others. Uh, so funny story, we're actually uh, planning on going public <laughs> very soon. Um, we actually filed uh, our responses to the SEC recently, today, actually. Um, so about a year ago, um, some of our investors, that was the first time that we raised money, we raised $5 million in 2022 at their start of 2022. Um, and they proposed a solution where instead of just being on this VC track where you're doing C, Series A, B, C, D for decades um, and giving up a lot of control and equity into the company, 
that we would utilize the 5 million, build up the company even more, scale it up, and then get on a path to go public. Um, there's not a lot of strict requirements after the SEC gives the stamp of approval in a way um, for your filing. There's not a lot of huge uh, requirements to be a public company. You just have to meet a few requirements for the NYC and NASDAQ, and you're ready to go. Even if you're not generating revenue, um, you can still go public. Um, now, the positives of that are, are a lot, actually. Um, one of them is getting that upper management position uh, hired that someone that fuels part of the company and gets the equity and everything. They have um, a potential liquidity event uh, in the near future. Um, the other positive is that being a public company, we can hire uh, quicker because, again, you can utilize your shares and equity to the company to do it, um, as well as raising capital and debt. Um, public companies, since they're liquid, you can go to a bank, get a wire the next day for your shares, um, and you're not giving up control in the same way as you would through a VC uh, path. That's super interesting. Uh, I like your, you know, going against the trend in that. I'm sure it's been an interesting experience, but uh, it makes sense those early investors to have, you know, a shorter roadmap to liquidity, as you said, as opposed to, oh, down the line, yeah, well, you know, hundreds of millions and billions, you know, yeah. there's an old old insurance ad where you don't know what your retirement fund is and you just keep on you know, throwing money at it. So I like it. Uh, you keep on talking about hiring these executives and I honestly, in the market, I haven't heard this too much. So maybe uh, if you'd like to share what successes have you had in finding these candidates uh, and especially with your, you know, very narrow focus, uh, that you're, that you're looking for, what types of, you know, tools have you utilized or practices have, have you, you know, found success and in, in utilized to find these candidates? To be honest, we're actually starting that process right now. So I'll, I'll know maybe in a few months, but um, we Well, then here, been... that's, a, that's great. Then we'll use this as a jumping off point. What's your ideal candidate that, you know, you're looking for in an executive, you know, that's going to be working at Orox and you obviously gave a great pathway for what, you, you know, from a monetary standpoint, the company's not looking to do in the next, you know, 12, 24 months. Um, what would an executive look like at your company? Honestly, um, uh, we don't pay attention to too much. Uh, we do, but not too much to like a resume or, you know, their background. Uh, we've hired uh, developers that had maybe a couple years of experience and they learned so quickly that they eclipsed uh, developer and applicants that have been, you know, developing for five to 10 years. Um, a lot of it just really comes to drive. Um, we have had developers that have a lot of drive. They care about the project. They want to see it move forward, um, even if it's for less than they would at a, at a different company. Um, so same thing goes for an executive. Like, I've never managed a public company. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I do have resources at hand. I have help. But... I have the drive because I want to be public. I want to be the first public uh, Web3 DeFi company. And I know that I'm taking that on and I want to move forward. So when we're going to be hiring these executives and upper management, I want someone on that team that not maybe not necessarily has experience in that field that much, but is going to learn quickly and is going to put in the hours and is going to you know make sure that the company is going to do well. Um, we found that, that those type of individuals actually accomplish a lot more than the ones that are, in, in some cases, the ones that are more experienced, um, but are less motivated and less willing to put in the hours. 
I'm always curious when it comes to, um, especially like trading or DeFi related projects as they're hiring, like how much of a degen do you need to be? Um, cause again, I think the, the question we always get, there's a ton of web two degen stuck in web two, trying to get to web three, but may not have worked there or on the side, they're like in every project trading tokens, swapping, I mean, doing everything you can. Um, but then also when they get into a project, they may be, uh, again, too much of a degen. So like, what's, what's your degen level? What does that look like as, as you kind of think about, you know, just like core experience? Uh, we actually hire strictly Web2 developers. Um, we actually did hire one Web3 developer that, that had been in Web3 for a while. And most of our developers, when we first hired them, they hadn't even traded cryptocurrency and never used like a trading platform before. It is a longer process because they, they have to learn some of the intricacies and, and figure out how the blockchain works and things like that. But from our experience, we've noticed that people from the Web2 side just are in some, in, maybe not some, in, in a lot of cases, uh, just better developers overall. Um, that's not to say they're not great Web3 developers, but the applicants uh, we've interviewed haven't been as, as good. Um, that could be for multiple reasons. For example, bigger companies are probably scooping up every single good Web3 developer out there and, and overpaying them and you know, capturing that audience. Um, and then who's remaining now is, is kind of on the lower end of the um, spectrum. But with ours, we've had a lot of success in just hiring Web2 developers, giving them the time and resources to learn, adjust, and become really good developers in Web3. Against the grain again. I like it. Uh, I really, as a CTO and engineer myself, I appreciate people that are willing to just take them at their face value for their skill set. And that's, you know, really where you will get the best out of everybody. Uh, it sounds like you've got a well-versed interview, you know, experience in history. Maybe give us a couple pet peeves that you have or, you know, pitfalls where you're just like, you know, a big red X on the resume and you said you don't look at it, but maybe your notepad of things that somebody might do in an interview that are just big no-nos for you. Um, I mean, usually uh, jumping uh, from protocol to protocol, uh, we had a few applicants that had uh, six, seven months experience across like, five, not across, but at like five different protocols back to back to back. Um, when it comes to developing actually smart contracts, it's kind of time consuming. And uh, most people like, I don't know Solidity. I can read it, but I don't know Solidity. I tune enough to write it. So it takes a little while to kind of vet those candidates and they might be working for a few months for you and then realize that they got probably nothing done or they have to refactor it all the way from the start. Um, so we had those applicants, we did try them out. We, you know, we just said whatever they worked at some of the bigger protocols to just give them a shot. We tried them out for a couple of months and realized that there was a reason why they only worked six, uh, seven months at the, the other projects. Um, so that is definitely something that we pay attention to, uh, education and, uh, I don't know, anything else, it really doesn't matter. Um, some of our developers went to college, some of them self-taught. I don't care. They're both great developers or they're all great developers and that's why we keep them on the team. Yeah. That's big lightning bolt. That's, uh, that's, uh, I forget if it was Seinfeld or Chappelle that says this, but it was somewhere, something along the lines of boredom is a real, real driver of creativity. 
And it's almost like, you know, once you finally mastered a language, a protocol, something like that, then you can really start to, and you're just like, I can't, you know, you might in your mind say, I can't do anything else. It, it forces you to push the envelope of what that technology can do, what the request is. And that's where it really, you know, comes. So I like that answer a lot. Yeah, uh, we've had a lot of, um, I mean, the other thing is uh, if, if whoever's listening, if you're trying to start your own startup or a company in Web3, um, be very picky about your first developer um, because you can build a team around them. If you find a really good developer, even if you have to overpay them, um, someone that you can trust if you're not a developer yourself, try to find that one core developer that can analyze other codes, uh, give you their honest opinion, basically build that entire team around them. If you start from scratch with, you know, you could hire five developers right off the bat and you just hiring just to get the product started and everything else, you're going to run into issues. Um, not organization is going to be a little messy. You're not going to know who to trust, um, who's actually working, who's not working, um, who's good, who's not. Um, and that's where we've been kind of lucky. So we had one core developer we started with. He's been great. And then we just started to brainchild from there. You brought up a good point on the trust side. Like, I think that's that's the hardest part of hiring any startup, right? Like you mentioned, you've got a, a trusted team. So you don't want to you don't want to break that. You want to bring people in that match that. And especially on the trading side, you know, in, in any market, but especially crypto in light of the last year, right? With smart contracts or user funds or accounts like the trust thing is 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 huge so like how how do you evaluate that like on the front end is it networking references like have you guys you know thought about how to like formalize you know what orox's trust like level and bar is um so initially we uh, we got lucky honestly uh we were making posts on like i made a post on uh, georgia's uh, job website and that developer was moving to georgia he discovered us and we um had him do like a code review and stuff and he turned out great and then over time built up that trust um with incoming developers it's a lot more difficult um what we usually do is um Give them smaller tasks it takes about a month or two where we're kind of in the analysis phase so we give them smaller tasks bug fixes uh things like that and then have the rest of the developers analyze that code like a hawk um if there's anything and several of our developers previously had brought up issues with someone else um and turns out they were right <laughs> so have building that initial layer. That's why I think that first developer is going to be the most important to making sure that your uh, company is successful uh, because they're going to come into play later on. They're going to be analyzing the new developers that are coming in um, during that first few months and making sure that that new person is fit for your team. If that person says no, you kind of need to just move on. Uh, honestly, if you trust that person and you build that initial uh, layer, then they're without a doubt right they've been right at least in our case i will definitely second what g's saying that is that it's a huge unlock it's almost like a superpower to have that first engineer and in hiring it's weird because and i did this as my first time founding i went and hired like five developers immediately all were very talented i'll you know say myself but it was too much uh you yeah. and you have an urgency potentially from investors that are like you know a lot of them are going out, spend that money, you know, not from a standpoint of at the club, but go and hire some talent. And it's, it really, it's, it's, 
it's so counterintuitive to do, but it is the right move. So please, founders, if you're listening to this, hire, spend a little bit of time, that first hire, like you said, you said it perfectly. They're going to be in, in those, you know, architecture meetings, you know, and if they're not, and you're re-architecting a service, you know, let's say, you know, two years down the road, the team's going to want to know how is this architected? Why was it architected this way? Um, and it's great to have some, a professional, you know, a real, real architects, you know, in that position. But as you can imagine, and I'm sure you'll attest to, they're hard to find. It's, it, it's hard to find. So spend some time. I, I agree. Um, tell us what's up, you know, up and coming. You obviously talked about RX and uh, the public aspirations to go public from a project, you know, an exchange standpoint, what's, what's going on, especially even with your utility token, what's upcoming, you know, on the roadmap for y'all. Yeah. So right now we're um, actually last year, we spent a lot of time and money to redesign our terminal, create a whole new UI. Um, initially when we were self-funding it, we were just throwing, you know, add this function add that function and it just became busy. Um, the user experience became busy. So we spent about six months redesigning the entire UI from the ground up. Um, we are in the process of now applying those designs to the terminal. But while we were doing that, we didn't want to just sit back and wait for the designers to finish. So we started working on uh, Web3 uh, non-custodial wallet. Uh, we actually released the browser version in December of last year. And we've been focusing on that while we're also focusing on redesigning the terminal and everything else. And with the non-custodial wallets, it honestly came to us in a way from our own experience, as well as how it could fit into our terminal too. Um, I don't know if either of you all have used MetaMask before, but they're like the top uh, of the industry. They're, they capture like 99% of the industry as far as wallets go. And I got tired of using it. I was like, this is just ridiculous. Like it just had so many issues. Um, and I think I speak for probably majority of Web3 uh, users when I say that. So we thought, you know, we have all this data, we have all this information, we want to make a more cohesive terminal. Let's build out a Web3 wallet uh, for both desktop and mobile. And we released that and we've seen a really, um, really positive outlook from that side. Uh, we've improved the user experience, security, everything. It's a significant uh, improvement and innovation above uh, metamask so right now we're focusing on marketing that and then we're releasing a built-in decentralized terminal within the extension itself so right now it's a compact view that the user can see just like you would with metamask but then there's going to be a button when you click on it it'll open up a new tab uh, within the extension itself and it's a locally hosted terminal that has decentralized assets and you can interact with protocols and swap and trade uh, monitor your balance, everything. Now, the innovative aspect of that is the fact that it's locally hosted, trading and everything can be done with a single click. There's no pop-ups, confirmations, any of those complex DeFi intricacies. They'll feel like a centralized exchange to you, but in reality, it's all decentralized. That is what we're excited about. We're going to release that in about two, maybe three weeks from now. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it will improve the DeFi experience significantly. That's super cool. Yeah, I was looking at the the trading platform. I haven't checked out the wallet yet, but it's definitely on my list today because I echo I echo your statement. Nothing against MetaMask; they've done a lot, but it's almost like they stopped 
with what they have and it's almost gotten clunkier and slower. So I agree with you on there's a, a spot to be filled in the market for just better experience. And as well, I mean, from a trading platform, there's all levels of people. So I think you guys are addressing the market where it's like, hey, a, you know, entry level person could do this all the way up to most advanced trader. Um, but I guess like customer feedback, consumer feedback, I know you guys have a, a couple different community channels like Discord and Twitter. It, you know, how do you guys kind of build that community? Um, seems like there was also some self-funding that you offered to kind of customers. So talk us through like how you brought in the community into kind of building this product and its use. Yeah. Um, from early on, I was myself and my uh, partners were really involved in the community. Um, I was responding to questions myself. Uh, um, I was interacting them with them. We were doing like YouTube lives where they could ask any question, just being extremely prominent in the community as much as I could when I had back then I had a lot more time than I do now, but uh, with the public stuff, it's been kind of a mess. But um, back then when I had a lot of time, I would go in there message, you know, if someone asked a question, I would message almost immediately answering their question and just being extremely, extremely interactive takes effort and at the end of the day you don't even want to see a text message from your family or anyone else for that matter but um it, it's worth the effort because these same users that were there three years ago they're still using the platform today even though it's a bear market it was exact the same ones that were interacting and asking questions and uh, we were speaking to them over youtube live those same users still use the platform today on a daily basis um and that's what you really, at least on the Web3 side and, and, and DeFi, you really have to build that community early on and get those users to come along with the story of the company. Um, and that's what, how we did it from the very start. That's great. Uh, I got a question. I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit because I think you obviously haven't done this in a while. But if you were to go, you know, talking to a founder and you need to go find your first hundred users, what would you tell them to, to or what, how would you, you know, what tools would they utilize campaign, anything? How would you, you know, tell somebody to go get their first hundred users? On the web two side, it's relatively easy. I mean, for me, it's uh, sure. uh, being, you know, a media buyer and everything it, uh, on the web two side, running Facebook ads, is probably the easiest way you're going to acquire users. Um, I mean, we ran, probably millions and millions of dollars for e-commerce and affiliate marketing. And Facebook does such a great job at optimizing those ads to deliver you the best audience that you can. Um, so you can easily get those hundred users. It might be more expensive if you're not experienced with it, but you can easily get that. Like you can, without a doubt, get it within the first month. Um, on the Web3 side, then I guess on the finance side, even uh, Twitter is probably going to be your best, uh, best chance. Um, the ads are more expensive overall. You're probably going to pay more uh, per user, but you're definitely going to be able to acquire those users easily. Um, I'm a huge fan of media buying. I mean, that's what we did for, for years. Uh, uh, so I really suggest anyone that's um, trying to promote their product, uh, newsletter, whatever it might be, uh, media buying is going to be the easiest way that you're going to get those users. I'm always curious when it comes to community channels, like my, my thoughts on Discord are probably different than most on this call. I know Brad and, and Meta Intro, they, they've cranked out such a cool and innovative community. Some Discords are great. Some are just weird, right? Like what's, what's your thought on that space in terms of like interacting with community and like is Discord 
it? Is that the final one? Or do you think, do you use another one, see another one kind of coming in its place? Kind of similar to MetaMask. Um, actually, per, if you're getting started, Telegram is probably going to be easier. Uh, when you just have a few hundred users, it's just so much easier to just manage it all because you don't have to deal with like 20 different channels and then someone messages in one channel and you have to check that one and then that one and that one. Uh, the conversation flows better in a single channel and because there's less users, it looks more active. So more people are willing to engage with it. Um, we did we did that at the start then we shifted over to discord and i agree that discord is unless you're in there and you know using it pretty often it can get a little messy as well um so and that's why at this point i just pop in from time to time but we had to actually like hire people to to manage it uh, it became uh, pretty difficult um as far as a messaging platform i mean I don't know if Slack would ever do this uh, and add like more uh, company uh, community channels, but I prefer Slack uh, personally over Discord. And I think if they do, they will definitely give Discord a run for their money. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I, I I think too, um, and I'm sure you've probably seen this. I you know working on a remote sounds like dispersed team, uh, tough to connect, right? So it's not only connecting with the community. How do you guys stay connected as a team as you grow? Yeah, well, I'm up about 24 hours a day. So, <laughs> um, uh, we have developers from all over the world. Uh, it's what we're used to. Even when we were doing media buying, e-commerce, we had developers everywhere, uh, staff everywhere. Um, so, usually, you know, during the day, um, in the morning and afternoon, I'm managing the United States side, the public attorneys, uh, um, I don't know, customer support, everything else, and then. Towards the end of the night, um, I get a little few hour break between, I don't know, eight and, and 10 or 11. That's when the developers wake up. Usually if they have a question, you know, we interact with them. But overall with the non-USA side, it's really about comes down to sending a schedule, usually early in the morning, let's say like Monday or Tuesday calls, answering everything. That way, during the night, they're not going to have any questions, or if they do, it's just very minor things that you can answer. Set the schedule early in the week. I like that. And my goodness, my heart goes out to double time zone founders. It's not. Uh, it's it's no. it's not easy, and it's especially those late nights. It's stressful when you're like, if I don't, you know, give the directives, <laughs> if I don't set the schedule, you're losing time. So I hear you. Um, any cool partnerships coming up for uh you know y'all that you wanted to announce that you're excited about that uh is really gonna you know broaden the horizons of your exchange and all the products y'all have um i can't announce it yet but we do have a few things coming soon we've actually been uh when we were doing our cf round just recently we had to kind of pull back on our marketing temporarily not to have any type of sec issue um and we just gathered up a bunch of partnerships during that time for like three month period. Uh, we announced a bunch of them last week uh, with the uh, Cryptos R Us, Alcoin uh, Daily, some of the biggest uh, influencers and, and, and marketers out there. Um, you know, we also announced something with Avalanche and then we have a few other ones that are coming out over the next, uh, I don't know, 30 days or so. Um, but yeah, there'll be good, really good partnerships to help um, not only our products, but for other users to discover them. 
Well, it definitely sounds like you're busy. I can see why you're uh, you're up 24 hours a day between managing uh, the team, the partnerships, um, obviously the IPO readiness. Uh, it sounds exciting, but a little stressful. Um, well, cool. Well, in, in terms of um, like Oryx platform, the website, we'll link that info below. Um, we'll obviously link G's information, but I mean, to kind of wrap it up, you know, what's, what's anything you want to leave the, uh, the audience with, or, uh, you know, how do they get in touch with you as these roles, um, you know, launch and how can they stay updated, you know, with, with Oryx's, uh, products and success? Yeah, um, sure. I can leave a few details. Um, if you're listening and you were getting involved and really wanted to get involved in what we right now. Honestly, this is probably going to be the best time if you can acquire the funding for it, whether it's self-funded or VC, whatever it might be. Um, usually times like these, you get better pick of um, a pool of candidates because a lot of companies downscaled. Um, there's just more applicants. There can be more applicants in the market at this point versus in bull market. Good luck. Um, so getting those applicants, getting those, getting that company set up and hitting the ground running during a bear market is probably going to be your best opportunity to be successful. Um, a lot of the companies, you know, swap compound, all of these companies developed a lot in, in the bull market of the last bull market and then came out running. And now they're the biggest companies in crypto. Um, so yeah, I would recommend anyone that's trying to get in in web three is to start a company to try to do it now before it gets into the bull market. And then you're going to have a much harder time actually creating a product. Um, as far as, you know, contact me, um, I don't use LinkedIn. I do have a LinkedIn. I don't use it that often, uh, but you can definitely join our discord. There's uh, some of our staff members are in there. Feel free to, you know, tag them, say that they want to speak to me and then they'll get to me within uh, a few minutes and I'll be able to interact with y'all. So discord is probably the best way to find me. And um, I've, if anyone wants to, I'd love to speak with them. I love it. What's uh, I'll put you on the spot again. What's your favorite role you're hiring for that you're looking forward to? Either it's going to reduce your stress and hopefully let you go to bed at U.S. time, or that you're just excited to work with. Yeah, we're um, trying to. One of the things in Web three is you have um, you have a very uh, split audience. You have the audience that has kind of. 90% of them don't have a lot of funds. And then you have the 10% that has a lot of funds. So we're trying to hire, hopefully soon, uh, trying to hire someone that can target that 10% one-on-one, um, -on -one, call them, you know, email them, bug them, go to their house, knock on their door, break it down, uh, and try to get those 10% to shift over to our platform Very interesting. with whatever means necessary. What is that person's title? Um, I have no clue. <laughs> yeah. My guess would be, uh, what are they called? Ultra high net worth individual hunter, it seems like. Yeah. Um, but you're talking about crypto whales sometimes, and they're, you know, yeah, whale hunter. I mean, maybe oh, that is a whale one. hunter. Captain Ahab, that's what they are. Yeah. Chief like whale officer. Chief Something along those lines. <laughs> I like that. I might steal that one. <laughs> that's, it's free to use. Free to use. <laughs> Well, cool, well, I, G. well or go ahead, Brad. No, I was going to say, I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm excited to check out, you know, the decks a little bit more. Um, you've got some exciting product launches coming up. Obviously the company's, you know, hiring at a rapid pace. That's always, you know, a great sign for health for a company. Um, yeah. Congrats on all your success. Uh, it's been great to learn a little bit about yourself and 
your background. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm sad you're not doing any more media buying. If you have an agency on the side, I'll, I'll definitely hire you. Yeah, I know. It's uh, looking back because with media buying, it was like you turn the switch on, you're making profit every single time. Here yeah. we're building a brain, so it takes longer. It's like, when do we get to that point when you just switch the, uh, when you flip the switch and then you can start uh, kind of seeing the, the, the results of your progress? Uh, that's the most difficult part, honestly. Well, cool. Well, we'll, uh, we'll link everything in the show notes um, to anybody listening. Check out Warox if you're looking to trade, um, as well as on the wallet side. Sounds like they got some cool products there. Maybe we'll even get a recruiting-ish referral link. Um, who knows? Maybe we'll find those whales for you, or they might be listening right now. But um, thank you again, G. Um, thank you again for those listening to the Recruiting-ish podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks. Bye, everyone.